your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Snap down, the kick is up, and the kick is good! Here's Lane! Huskers win it 13-10. They beat Northwestern and go to 4-2. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. We've waited eight days for a little more clarification from the Big Ten office. Well, they have delivered. A letter from the commissioner came out about an hour ago today where he says they they deeply value what sports means to our student-athletes, their families, our coaches, our fans. The vote of the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors was overwhelmingly in support of postponing fall sports and will not be revisited. The decision was thorough and deliberative and based on sound feedback, guidance, and advice from medical experts. Despite the decision to postpone fall sports, we continue our work to find a path forward that creates a healthy and safe environment for all Big Ten student-athletes to compete in the sports they love in a manner that helps to prevent the spread of COVID-19 and protects both student-athletes and the surrounding communities. Then he kind of goes into giving us a history lesson of COVID-19 and how when it began around the world, when it came to the U.S., how many cases in the U.S., uh, kind of filler material, basically. And then he kind of went into some uh, their primary factors about the transmission rates, uh, the lack of some testing in some, some of our institutions uh, that we didn't feel were adequate enough to keep the safety of our student-athletes at the top of mind. So fairly lengthy letter from Kevin Warren. It's the it's really the second time today we've heard from him. He did do a, a interview earlier today with Sports Business Journal, which really was almost identical to the interview he gave Dave Revs on a BTN last week. But then just after 5 o'clock, this letter came out, Ben McLaughlin, which I'm sure answers every single one of your questions you have. Yeah, I mean, I, I can wash my hands of this. I can move on. Um, I can watch... Uh, episodes of Breaking Bad tonight, and uh, and have the you know what happened to the Big Ten completely out of my mind. Uh, no, I mean it's to me it was uh, there was there was some stuff in here that I think was was helpful, but I think a lot of it was you said was just fluff. I mean it it almost seemed like he just Wikipedia'd the information on <laughs> on COVID nineteen of the origins and the number of kids. Like we're all aware of. Yeah, of we, what we it is, it where it came from, when it started, how it got here, and the numbers of people that it's affected. And, and the thing that I was really hoping to see in here that I just didn't was more medical proof of what they've been hearing and why it's such a detriment. Instead, all we heard was an ar- the arguments for canceling a season. I mean, that, that's that's all we've heard is you've got two sides to this deal. You've got the side that's for and the side that's against – and 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 we all know the reasons why people are against it, right? Uh, your the the transmission rates, uh, contract ta- contact tracing, some of those other things that that we don't know and we won't know. And, and to me, the biggest issue with this, Greg, is it sounds like there's a heck of a lot of momentum for a season to start in January. That that seems to be where a lot of people's heads are at right now. So let's just assume that's the case. Let's just for one second assume that. The Big Ten and Kevin Warren are going to try and start something in January. 
You mean to tell me that these issues are going to be fixed in three months? There's no way. There's no way that these same issues that they're talking about and their concerns are no longer concerns in January. And, and let's be honest, they, they, they can't be concerned starting in December because that's when you're going to start practicing. That's when you're going to start getting ramped back up. So these need to have answers. These questions need to have answers in, in just over two months, which I just don't see happening. And so – you know the same reasons why, you know, you pull the plug and and fall, yet you want to act like you're optimistic about winter. I just don't understand by that logic how you can arrive at the conclusion that it's going to happen. I just I just don't think that it, that's the case. One thing that's still very unclear. Let me go back to the statement. The vote by the Big Ten Council of Presidents and Chancellors was overwhelmingly in support of. We've got the Minnesota president saying we didn't take a vote. You have Sandy Barber, the Penn State athletic director, said, I don't think they took a vote. But clearly in this statement, he says the vote, which I don't know that it happened. I think it was a discussion point, and it was kind of the uh, the general feeling in the room that we can go on and do that. So you still have that hanging out there of some something that isn't still quite locked down. And again, I, I, he doesn't need to tell me what the vote was, but if there wasn't really a vote, don't tell me that there was a vote in here. And you've got several people that have come out and said, yeah, there really wasn't a vote. I, I just, sounds like, still it sounds like there is. Ronnie Green went on our affiliate KLIN today and, and said that there was a vote. So I'm, I'm becoming more convinced that there was a vote, but why is it so unclear that there was? I mean, I, I, and, and why are and, – and, and from everything that we're told, it was not unanimous – so clearly there were there were folks in the room that didn't necessarily agree with this and if 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 it was such a unanimous decision why is there so much pushback right now like why why were all those rumors floating around that there were five schools getting ready to launch a fall season despite the Big 10 for a 10 game schedule like why 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 was that a thing so clearly the commissioner is telling us that just about everybody was on the same page with this. But everything that we're hearing from all the other campuses, w- nobody's on the same page at all. So that's where I struggle with it is you've got some people that are apparently in one corner and then you've got a lot of other folks in another corner saying and doing things that would suggest that they really want to play this fall. So there's, there's no clarity there to me. Brett McMurphy, who's a longtime college football correspondent, uh, has conducted within the last hour and a half an interview with Ohio State AD Gene Smith. And he got this quote, Ben, from Gene Smith. While a decision has been made by the Big Ten Conference to postpone the fall season, we view this as a temporary delay. We are actively planning for the winter and spring seasons for all sports, including the return of football. And that goes into what you were saying, that the thing that's gotten some momentum the last 24 hours is not a spring football season, but a winter football season. Uh, Ohio State has floated this for the last couple of days. Ryan Day has put this out there. James Franklin, who we're going to hear from in hour number two, he had a press conference today. He alluded to a winter season where they would teams would travel to Minneapolis, Detroit, and Indianapolis, where they have dome stadiums home of the Vikings, home of the Lions, home of the Colts, and you could play doubleheaders on a Saturday where you could play somebody one game at noon, one game at six, one game at noon, one game at six. Nine-week schedule, play eight games, 
have a conference championship game, have a Rose Bowl game with your conference champion after that, and by being done by sometime in March, you're fine for next fall. And and you bring up the great point. How do you think you're going to get over all this in the next three months? Football is an outdoor sport, which the transmission we do know is much less likely to transmit outside. But every practice, as you point out, is going to have to be inside because you're going to start in December with practices. Your games are going to be inside. You still don't have any fans at the games, so you're not helping your local communities out by having home football games there. But that does seem to be the momentum building right now. In fact, uh, Jeff Petrikas from the uh, Madison paper up in Madison, Wisconsin, said that that information has been shared with Wisconsin football parents, that this is what we're leaning toward right now is trying to play an indoor season starting in January. Yeah, I just there 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 is so, a lot about that that, I'm not I'm not sure about um and again it and he even addressed Commissioner Warren addressed this in his letter today about how to safely determine the amount of games you could play in a calendar year to me that's drawn into question yes it helps if you're bumping it up let's just say two months from March to January that 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 helps but um again I how about the overarching issue Greg if Let's just say the Big Ten is the only league that does this. What's going to happen? Like, is the conference championship the national championship? Like, there is literally no outside competition other than in your league. Right. So, I mean, I don't know. This whole thing is funky. The thing that's frustrating to me is that, and there's no way that this becomes the case, that all five conferences can get on the same page. But that's the most frustrating thing to me is – we're in a world right now where three of these conferences are trying to give it a go. The Big Ten's talking about January. The Pac-12's talking about spring. We're all over the map here. And yeah. so, like, I don't know what's going to happen at the end of these seasons. You know, what's what's the excitement every Saturday is if you lose, you're in trouble. You know, you're it, that's that's one knock on your playoff belt. You lose again, and there is no, there is no playoff belt. You lose three times, you got to worry about your division. That that's the fun part about every Saturday is every Saturday matters. I mean, if you're one of those teams that, you know, isn't picked to win the league, what are you playing for? You know, I just I know the athletes want to get out there and play and they'd play against air right now if they could. I understand that. But there there are also a lot of people out there like a Justin Fields, like a Trevor Lawrence, that the whole point of coming back to school is to raise that trophy at the end. And if if there's no opportunity to do that, it's just such a frustrating and weird thing because it this season would take away everything that we love about college football, which is the championship games, the bowl games, the prestigious bowl games, New Year's Day, and yes, even the college football playoff. If we don't have that, this season loses a lot of pageantry, in my opinion. No doubt. You mentioned Ronnie Green was on our Lincoln affiliate KLIN at, at, at uh, the bottom of the hour, so about 45 minutes ago. Here was a quote from his interview there. He says, quote, there is a growing level of enthusiasm among the presidents about staging a successful season in the winter. And uh, I, I'm with you. I was real skeptical about if you tried to start it in late February or March. I just don't know how in the world you could launch this thing the first Saturday of January. Um, I, I, I just, I, I don't get it. Well, if you've got some thoughts about this, did the 
did the commissioner's um, statement clarify it all for you? Here's the numbers if you want to be a part of it, 531-500-4686. You can also shoot us a text on that very same number. That is our U.S. Segator text line, U.S. Segator, the official wireless provider of Husker Athletics at 531-500-4686. There is still scheduled to be a parent protest outside the offices of the Big Ten in suburban Chicago on Friday. Uh, I think that is still going to take place. Uh, But by the statement today, uh, it will not be revisited. That was the line in the statement that the fall season will not be revisited by the Big Ten Conference. They have put their their foot in the ground and said no it's that's the line in the sand we're not going to be talking about fall football or fall sports again it's um it's an interesting thing to do Uh, again i i don't know how it's how it's safe to be flying teams into those northern cities and foot of snow on the ground in minneapolis or detroit (laughs) slogging through that to go inside an nfl stadium to play games I, i i just i I think there's an awful lot of things to work over that, but we've heard it from Ryan Day. We've heard it from James Franklin. That seems to be the the plan of the day right now in the Big Ten. Well, and how about – I mean, I, look, there's so much differing opinion on the way this virus is going to turn in the next few months, but the big concern right now for a lot of people is is how the flu season affects this virus coming up here in the wintertime, and that's – that seems to be right in the heart of all this seems to be ramping up. You know, when the, when the flu season is going around in, in November or December, you're supposed to be getting ready for a football season. So what type of complex scenarios does does that happen? Are you confusing flu symptoms with COVID systems? How does that influence testing? I, to me, there there are still tons of questions that, that are going to pop up that, that it's inconceivable to me that we're going to have answers for this thing in January. Maybe that's me being a pessimist. I don't know. But it, it, there are a lot of things that are going to have to go right for a January season to happen. No doubt. Okay, here's what we have on the program tonight. Matt Schick of ESPN is going to join us in a couple of minutes. Uh, Matt, uh, a big part of their coverage of college football. We'll get his take on what the Big Ten has been doing the last couple of weeks. We'll see what he thinks about the way Nebraska has been treated by some of his colleagues there at ESPN. Matt used to work television up in Omaha, but has been with ESPN now for a number of years, so he'll join us here in a couple of minutes. Second hour of the program, we will uh, check in with Jeremiah Searles, this week's edition of Husker Huddle. Nick Gates will be his focus. Nick is currently in an NFL camp and cranking away there. We'll have that conversation. Lane Grindle, our Major League Baseball insider, will join us during hour number two as well. The return tonight, a buy-sell after a five-month absence. We'll return in hour number three, and we'll hear the latest from the Nebraska Highway Safety Office that's coming out with a new campaign. They want to tell you all about that coming up in hour number three. When we come back, Matt Chick will join me. Welcome back, Sports Highly here on a Wednesday night hump day. Oh, halfway close to any weekend. Looking forward to that. We're looking forward to chatting with our next guest, Matt Schick, former KETV personality up in Omaha. Now, are you closing in on a decade with ESPN? Is that about right? Are you that close? That's a, we're, we're getting there, Greg. Yeah. I've almost got my uh, I've almost got my Mickey Mouse pin that I think they give you when you get to about ten years. Two thousand twelve is when I. Started, yeah. so we're we just finished eight. I think it was eight years last week. So that's what it is. The ten year gift is a, a Mickey Mouse pin. That's that's what gets I think presented. So. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the five year I got a Pluto little pin, and then okay. maybe ten year might be ten year might be goofy or something. Twenty five might be Mickey. I might have a ways to go for Mickey. I'm not sure. Maybe they let you sleep in one of the castles for a night when you get to the 25th anniversary. <laughs> I know. I'd like to get my hair all done and do that, uh, that you know, little uh, Cinderella thing. I don't know. Absolutely. We'll see. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate you jumping on board with us here tonight. Yeah. We, 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 Kevin Warren came out with a statement late this afternoon. I think you were still doing a, a radio show at that time. What you, would you make of the commissioner's release here this afternoon? My biggest takeaway is could have saved himself a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of emotional heartache, and a lot of headaches had he done this a week ago. Um, this wasn't very complicated to have to do. And truly, nothing that he said that was in there was really exact or things that you really had to have a week to think about. I mean, these are all things that people were surmising were reasons it was essentially a Cliff's Notes version of the Pac-12 release, the PDF that they sent out. And so, you know, it all makes sense. Uh, you know, I think the, the big takeaway, too, is where it says uh, the vote was overwhelmingly in support. We know it wasn't unanimous. If it was unanimous, they would have said that. But it said overwhelmingly in support, and it's not going to be revisited. So maybe that was a way for Kevin Warren to kind of head off some of the Parent, uh, parental protests that might be heading his way tomorrow with some Ohio State parents uh, coming to greet him. But, um, but it's uh, – look, I, I don't envy Kevin Warren's position. I think you know, he came into this job at the worst time and dealing with the pandemic and conference season, uh, the conference tournament being canceled, NCAA tournament being canceled, social justice, everything going on and then having to deal with canceling a season uh, or postponing it, in his words. Uh, this is a tough time to learn on the job, and he's done a lot of learning over the last few months. Matt, l- let's go back a month. He, Kevin Warren and the Big Ten were the first ones to announce they were just going to try to do a conference schedule only. Mm-hmm. How surprising was that to you and the folks you talked to? It's, it, it seemed to catch a lot of people off guard. Well, it did because they were the first to do it. And that's why when they postponed the season, it caught us off guard because they were the first to do it. And you thought they would be a little more deliberate than they were. The conference-only stuff, you know, it, it, it was fine. And then once everyone else did it, it made more sense, which is why I think the Big Ten Pac-12 decision of postponing is still leaving a lot of people wondering why they did it when they did it, because no one else is following their lead at this point. Granted, the SEC has a later schedule. They don't start till the end of September. But I think what the Big Ten did that was smart was that in that conference release, conference-only schedule, they made a note in the end of that release saying, if we are able to play. And every time they've released something, Greg, they have said, and even when they released the schedule uh, a couple weeks ago, they said – if we are able to play. They never said, hey, let's go. They, they essentially sent you the wedding invitation but said, don't buy the plane ticket yet because there are some issues that we need to be resolved, and if you're going to buy a wedding gift, hang on to the receipt. They were at least careful to, uh, to let you know that all the hay wasn't in the barn yet, and that was obviously the case. You give me that advice years after most of my buddies tried to get married. So <laughs> a little later. Matt Schick's with us from, from ESPN and ESPN Radio. Uh, Nebraska has has been in the spotlight in the last week. The day before the Big Ten pulled the plug on the season, Scott Frost had a press conference that was already scheduled. It was day three of of the camp and came out and said, hey, 
if the Big Ten does not move forward, we'd like to try to cobble together a schedule. Uh, that didn't go over real well nationally. What do you make of the reaction that Nebraska and Scott Frost got from those comments? I thought Nebraska turned into a very easy whipping boy for uh, the anger and frustration that people had that the season was getting canceled. And you had guys saying, hey, who does Nebraska think it is? You know, what do they think they've done? What have they accomplished to be able to say these types of things? And and essentially what Nebraska did was they ran interference for Ohio State. So Ohio State was doing the same things, but Scott Frost was the one that, that put some voice to it before the decision actually happened. And I, I don't think, and, and this is where I give leniency to a lot of national folks who were crushing Nebraska for it because, A, the cherry-picked, you know, the the soundbite that Scott Frost had was cherry-picked. No one is going to sit and watch a 25-minute news conference or a Zoom news conference uh, involving Nebraska right now and everything's going on. And um, So they cherry-picked the one thing about we'll look elsewhere or we'll do whatever we can to play. But I think no one can understand how important Nebraska is to the state uh, unless you've lived in the state. And so you got a lot of national folks who are ripping on them for saying the things that they said. But if they actually experience what Nebraska is, you would understand where that was coming from. And I've said time and time again that Scott Frost was not saying what he said to defend his team. Like, I felt team was third or fourth or fifth on the list. It was state. It was economy. It was livelihood. It was morale. It was everything that goes along with Nebraska football in that state. And that's who he was standing up for, knowing the consequences of canceling football. And uh, and now you're now you're going to find out truly what he meant over the last six next six months, unless we can get some sort of spring season going. Again, busy with Matt Schick of ESPN and ESPN Radio here on Sports Nightly. You're there in the heart of ACC country. They're still a go. The SEC is still a go. The Big 12 is still a go. What kind of confidence level are you sensing from the people that are down in that region that, that they can make this thing work in the next couple of months? Well, I think there's confidence because I think it's going to be a staring contest between the ACC and SEC. Um, that's why I still think it comes down to the Big 12. I think I think both of these conferences are going to look at each other, and unless they decide mutually, go, hey, do you think we should cancel? Yeah, I think we should postpone. Okay, let's do it together. Uh, then it comes down to the Big 12. But you're right, Greg. I mean, you see what's going on in the ACC, even up the coast at Pitt. I mean, they've pivoted to remote learning until mid-September. North Carolina's had some some clusters of outbreaks, and they're not going to have athletics going until at least 5 o'clock tomorrow, local time, and then they're going to reassess. And then Notre Dame suspending their workouts. And then you go further south, and you have Ole Miss dealing with an outbreak as well. So I, I think – you know, what you're seeing is why the Big Ten made the decision that they had to make, because I don't necessarily felt that they would feel comfortable doing remote learning and having football. And I think they could see that that's where this is headed. And it's funny, Greg, because when we started out, it was, hey, you can't have fans. Uh, if, if you don't have fans, you can't have football. Well, then we started to get okay with that. Okay, well, no fans will still have football. But it was always, oh, we don't have students. We can't have student-athletes on campus. Well, now it sounds like we're getting – so, you know, we're, we're moving the goalposts a lot. And I think the further we get along here, the more comfortable we'll be with a very odd situation. I think they're just so desperate to play and have these sports that I think they ultimately might leave it up to the student-athletes. Are we comfortable with this? Even though you're in a bubble, even though you might be the only ones – 
uh, on campus at this point. Um, it's going to be interesting to see, but the timing, the fact that they've got the quote longer runway up until next month, they've probably got a couple weeks here to, till they're going to have to make a decision. The Big Ten made its decision because they were a month out. Yeah, those schools may be kind of glad the outbreaks are happening now. Maybe they'll they'll calm down in three to four weeks and they'll be good to go again. It's going to be a fascinating story to follow and watch and observe. And that's all we can do now here, Matt, in Nebraska. We can only yeah. observe. We're, we're out of the game, so that's all we've got is a chance to sit back and watch everybody else. How you been? You, you're, you're hooking up with your old partner doing some podcasts again. Is that right? Yeah, we've uh, we've had a little fun, a little too much fun. Uh, we had a, a nice little uh, very kind and uh, unnecessary write-up from Mitch Sherman uh, from The Athletic. He wrote a, wrote a good story today about it, and yeah, we're about 20, 20 episodes in or so, and uh, just reuniting with the old Lincoln Southeast standout who holds the consecutive free throw record in the state, uh, Nicholas Allen Baugh. We've been having fun doing a weekly podcast with him. We're going to record again another one later in the week, but the response has been great. And uh, you know, as it says in the story, we just wanted to get back together because we felt. First of all, we needed to, to laugh a little bit more because the pandemic was not very fun, and it still isn't. But also just to be able to provide some some laughter for some other people that could use it and, and to reconnect with the folks in Nebraska at the same time. So, yeah, a little Chick and Nick podcast. I would invite everyone to subscribe to it and check it out every week and, and just be a part of the – it's just to, great to be a part of uh, Nebraska again. It's It's – I wasn't born there, but I consider it home. So I always love coming on. I love reconnecting all the time. Very good. Matt, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay well. Greg, you as well. Welcome back to another edition of Husker Huddle here. I'm your host, Jeremiah Searles, here on the Husker Sports Network. Tonight, we are really excited to have our guest, Nick Gates, newest extension for the New York Giants, former Nebraska Cornhusker offensive lineman. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing good. Hey, man. Well, we appreciate you getting on here. First of all, let me be the one to say congratulations on your extension. That's the ultimate goal for anyone to continue their NFL career, continue living that dream. So I know everyone back here in Huskerland is excited for you. Talk to us a little bit about what that was like for you going through that extension process. Uh, it was awesome. I, mean, I get the chills right now just thinking back to it. But it was, uh, it was a good feeling just to, you know, get that and, you know, have my agent, you know, tell me. I thought he was lying at first. <laughs> Uh, you know, I still had two more years on my deal, so I was kind of a little surprised they gave me it. But I'm, I can't be more happy to be in New York and be, you know, with the Giants. And you know, this community is awesome. They're a bunch of, you know, blue collar workers. So that's what kind of football team we're trying to be. That's awesome, Nick. I know you went. We flash back a couple of years here. You leave Nebraska as an early, uh, as an early leave. You go undrafted to the Giants. Probably not exactly how you thought your NFL career was going to start. But how did that kind of maybe motivate you, or how did that help you get to where you are today? Yeah, definitely not how I wanted to start, but, you know, it uh, it's not how you start, it's how you finish, and, you know, it uh, definitely helped me and motivate me and, you know, get me going and make me work a little harder. You know, definitely as, a, as an undrafted guy, you know, we got to, you know, make uh, the best opportunities of, you know, when we get a shot and things like that, and it's a little harder for us, but, you know, you just got to get in there every time when you can and just, you know, get the job done. So uh, you, you've played in almost 20 games here in the NFL. You've started over three or five, I think is what the number that I saw. What position have you been working at, and where do you really feel comfortable along that offensive line now? To be honest with you, they throw me in anywhere. I'm comfortable, you know, anywhere. I was getting down those uh, snaps at center. It was probably the most difficult thing, but I worked my butt off this offseason to get that done. And, 
you know, but yeah, I'm, I'm good for anywhere wherever they need me to go for the day. I, I go there and, you know, get the job done. That's awesome. You got a young stud quarterback up there in Daniel Jones who saw a lot of promising things out of him last year. Um, what's it like working with a guy like that? And what can some of people that are watching the NFL this year expect out of a guy like that? Oh, yeah, no, he's going to, you know, he's a good guy. You know, he hopefully makes a, you know, few good steps the next year as, uh, as most rookies do from their first season to their second season, especially at quarterback. But he's a good guy, team player. You know, I'd, I'd love to go to war or go to battle with him any day of the week. That's awesome. Nick, we, uh, we talked a little bit uh, off air about this offseason being just so different for everyone. I mean, everyone's had to find a, find a way to manage their way through the offseason, trying to train, trying to get the best that they can to really go put a good product on the field this year. I know you moving around on the offensive line, having no OTAs, a shortened training camp. It's going to be tough. I mean, how have you been able to handle that? And kind of how did you handle this offseason with the COVID-19? So I got lucky this off season. We, uh, my gym stayed open that I was working mm. out at and open for all, all professionals. So we had about 12 to 15 guys in there on a daily basis that were working out and, you know, doing all that. So I got, I got lucky on that aspect. And, uh, you know, other than that, OTAs on the, on the zoom calls were a little difficult to get used to at first, but once you get in a routine of, you know, getting on there for, you know, an hour or two and it's kind of easy. And once you kind of figure everybody's out and figure everybody you know who they are it, it, it gets a little easier but it's definitely definitely a lot better in person oh for sure I mean how how would you imagine that this was your rookie year I mean I can think back to my rookie year being an undrafted free agent you needed every rep every every board meeting every chair drill every type of drill you could do and to come into camp how have you seen some of these rookies handle this training camp now that you're out on the field with no OTAs do they seem a little lost or how are they handling it um, no, definitely coming in as a rookie then this year would be tough, especially as an undrafted guy because you didn't get all those opportunities in OTA. But our rookies are taking it, you know, with stride and, you know, doing a pretty good job. we got a good, really good offensive line coach that, you know, has worked his butt off with all of us and, you know, he's got us in the right direction. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little Husker football here. The news came out this year, um, or this week, actually, no, no Big Ten football. And I know I've gone through the stages of grief of – I've ate my feelings on a Wednesday, and then I've gotten angry the last few days. But uh, how have you taken that news? I know you're, I know you're deep in it in training camp right now. But is how weird's it going to be not seeing the Huskers on uh, Saturday in the fall? I know, it's definitely going to be weird. I always tried to, you know, catch a game as much as possible every Saturday night, and you know, try to talk a talk a little crap with everybody in the, you know, the dining hall before the games on Sunday. But it'll be it'll definitely be different. You know, it's uh, it's a weird thing going on with everything right now, and. We'll, we'll just you know take it with with every stride absolutely i mean i think that this offensive line nick you still know quite a few guys that are on this line only being about three years removed now um you got to see these guys when they were young pups and now you got guys like matt farniak brandon hymas and i mean you got a young guy in cameron jurgens bo wilson out there that are really going to hopefully make a splash this year and eventually end up where you are in the nfl and where i was lucky enough to go talk to us a little bit about what these guys were like when they were younger um and you were the older guy and you were the senior what did you see in some of these guys uh, you know, one guy that stood out to me his true freshman year is Brandon Hymas, and he he came out and you know he played really well when he had to go in there, and I think he started what the last his last five games mm-hmm. of his freshman something like that, and I thought he did really well, and you know we played some tough teams, I think it was Ohio State, like Wisconsin, and he you know he held his own as a 18 year old kid, you know, just came to college, but I think he'll definitely he'll definitely make a shot at the pros, you know, I can see him getting drafted. 
I didn't really get to watch him too much last year, but I think he has a shot, definitely. And Matt Farniak, he was a, he was a good kid too. He uh, real tough, you know, blue collar kid that comes to work every day, and you know. They were definitely a little, you know, a little quiet when they first got there. But you know, now that they go back, they, you know, they're always good to talk about and you know, talk with and everything like that. And that's the way it's supposed to be when you're when you're a young guy. And I'm sure you experience this. The NFL is too. Is when you come in, it's fly under the radar, do your job, don't ruffle any feathers, and, and that's the same way in college too. So that's good to hear that those two guys did that. A um, little bit about this season, as far as the NFL, the NFL scheduled to go as normal. But how has it been having, I don't want to call it a distraction, but almost as much as how's it been with the COVID-19 testing and all the hoopla around it? Have you guys as players really affected you much or has it been pretty easy just to kind of do it and then just really focus on ball? Uh, they, our staff has really made it easy for us. You know, our training staff, they did a really good job. They moved us from our practice facility into the stadium, which is only about 200 yards away. And we were all literally there's nothing's different. We, you know, we just get tests every day, every morning. You know, you just gotta wake up a little bit earlier for that. But other than that, it's you know they they've done a really good job with us. And, you know, making us feel like normal, and getting us all you know around each other, and you know following the protocols and everything. But they did a really good job. Yeah, man, you should be. Uh, I think that we should be playing preseason games this week, but no preseason this year. So I mean, the first live action, first live bullets are going to be. I mean, for all the chips, all the table, man. I mean, how is that going to be different this year? I know you you've experienced some preseason games before, and there's play a couple series, get out. I mean, much more of a tune up. But I mean, the first time you take that field this time, it's going to be for all the marbles. How mentally have you started preparing for that? Um, to be honest, I really haven't thought too much. I just kind of take it day by day, and you know. Still trying to get in the playbook and trying to master that. And, you know, we put the pads on Monday. So, you know, mm. just taking one step at a time. And, you know, we'll see. It's definitely a bummer with no preseason games. And, you know, it's definitely tough for those uh, those rookies. You know, their first live bullets will definitely be, you know, be a, a legit, you know, Monday night football game that we play against the Steelers. So it'll be that, a couple of them, you know, get a wake up call. And then, you know, we got Hammond, you know, Cameron Hayward lining up across you, TJ Watt. <laughs> All those guys, so it'll be a little different for them. But I think they'll, I think they'll be good. I think enough. Not a lot of people are talking about it. Nick is the lack of opportunities for guys like you and myself that were undrafted free agents not having a preseason this year. I mean, if you look across the board, without a preseason, probably my first two years in the league, I don't know if I still have a job or I don't know if I have the six-year career NFL that I did have. I mean, I think that with no preseason, you're going to see an abnormal amount of undrafted free agent rookies get cut at the end of this year. And I think you're going to see an abnormal amount of rookies that are not going to play very much this year because you just can't trust them. Um, And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I think I mean that along the lines of you just can't really trust a rookie to go out there and like you said against tj water cameron hayward when you have a really big investment behind you as an offensive lineman and daniel jones a first round pick um but i think that the rookies are really going to struggle this year with no preseason what do you think yeah no that's definitely a couple of my buddies that are undrafted we've talked about him like these guys aren't going to be able to get film out you know you know it's it's not just making your team it's you got you have 32 or 31 other opportunities to make somebody else's team during the preseason with all the film so it's it'll it'll be tough it'll, it'll be tough for those guys this year but you know i think they'll just try to figure it out and you know chug along with what what's going on 
So. Absolutely. Well, Nick, we really appreciate you taking your time out of camp here. We know you're really busy. We're excited for you this season. Um, again, congratulations on the extension. I'm sure we'll be seeing out there uh, starting for the Giants, man. you got a big year this year coming up. Tough division in there with the Cowboys, Eagles, and the Washington football team. But uh, it should be a good time. Um, Husker Nation's pulling for you as always. And next time you're in town, hit me up. We'll go out and we'll, uh, we'll grab a drink. All right, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. This is awesome. I enjoyed it. Absolutely, Nick. Thank you so much. Thank you again for joining on this week's edition of Husker Huddle. His voice will sound familiar. And that ball's gone. Bye-bye baseball. His knowledge is endless. He looked so fast. It was unbelievable. He's our Major League Baseball insider. Just ate a brownie, so I'm ready to go. Lane Grindle. Well, for the second straight week, you've, you've almost seen a no-hitter, unfortunately against the Brewers, but at least last night you got rid of that and put that game in the extra innings. It was a great game. I mean, really, last night's game had a little bit of everything in it. Uh, Kenta Maeda was really special. The changeup just got better and better as the game went along. And At one point, he had struck out eight straight Brewers, which was a Twins organization record. And uh, I think he sat down 22 straight at one point in the game as well. I mean, he was just really special. He got the chance to go back out there in the ninth. His pitch count was getting pretty high, but uh, then Eric Sogard broke it up, and then the Brewers rallied against Taylor Rogers and ended up tying the game, sitting in at extras. And there was some really good defensive work in extra innings, but uh, Brewers couldn't get anything crossed. And finally, the speed of Byron Buxton, uh, which is you know not anything that should shock anybody. That guy can really fly. And uh, that ended up being the difference in the end, and the Twins walked off in 12. Lane, I want your thoughts about Maeda and the addition of him to the Twins. He had a nice nice career going with the Dodgers. W- what about that pickup for the Twins, and how much does that bolster maybe their postseason chances even? Well, it gives them another solid starter. Uh, Rich Hill's going to go for them tonight. That's another veteran, another former Dodger, in fact, uh, that has been around. He's pitched in postseason games. And um, so, you know, they, they've put together a rotation that has some good pieces at some point when they get Jake Odorezzi. Uh, going, uh, obviously, he had a really nice year for them last year as well on the mound. And then they got the youngster and Jose Barrios and then uh, uh, Randy Dobnik, who's pitching so well for them right now. He's kind of been one of the surprises in Major League Baseball. So it's a good rotation. And, uh, you know, Maeda, to go back to your question, I think is benefiting from being in a, in a role and not being moved out of it. I mean, when he was with the Dodgers, he started one year, then the next year he's in the bullpen, and then he's a setup man another year, then he's back to starting. And then I I just think he really didn't have a certain role he could count on with the Dodgers because he kind of moved in and out of that rotation over the course of his career there. He was a good pitcher for them, but he seems to have gone to another level. And I think he's been able to just settle in, know that he's going to get the ball every five days, and he's got that changeup working really well. And his slider was good last night, too. He didn't even throw that many fastballs. I mean, it was a lot of changeup and slider. And, boy, were they good. Okay, let's get to the story of the week. And that was Fernando Tatis swinging away 3-0 with his team up and, and belting one out of the ballpark. It seemed like everyone I've heard is okay with it except the Rangers. What's the opinion of people you've talked to? I think if – Jace Tingler doesn't apologize, and Fernando Tatis doesn't apologize. This is a totally different story, and it might be a non-story. It might just be Chris Woodward getting upset and everybody moved on because I don't think anybody else thinks this is that big of a deal. Uh, I certainly didn't know about this unwritten rule. Uh, I, I didn't know it was a thing. I mean, I think the other thing you have to understand is this is a different season. 
and every single game counts for 2.7. And when you're squeezing this many games into a short window and you don't know, you know, I mean, you might have to play a bunch of double headers later in the year. You're just not sure uh, exactly how the schedule is going to work out. So I, you don't want to be up, um, you know, 7 nothing, 8 nothing, and, and, and take your foot off the pedal. I, I don't think that's something you want to do this year. I mean, I'm not saying you, you start running on the base paths and everything, but at the same time, you don't want to have to use your setup man because somebody gives it up in the eighth inning, and now all of a sudden you got to put your A bullpen out there to salvage a win and uh, to, to hold on to a win in a game that you, you could have run away with and not had to use those guys. And now maybe they're not available the next day. So, I, I mean, I think the strategy of baseball is a little bit different this year anyway. So if you can hit a grand slam, hit a grand slam. It's a good thing to do. It's an entertaining thing to do. It's good for the game. He is a really special player. I think if he doesn't apologize, it's not that big a deal. But I think Jace Tingler, who's a new manager himself, clearly felt like maybe it was something they needed to do to, to err on that side of it. But I think most people have rallied to Fernando Tatis's defense on this one. Yeah, I think you're right. Lane Grindle's with us, our Major League Baseball insider here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Last week I asked you about a couple of teams that maybe have gotten off to surprisingly good starts. Let me ask you about a couple of teams that haven't. The Boston Red Sox in the American League and, and the Giants in the National League. Are you surprised with either or both that they're really struggling out of the gate? No, I'm not not surprised at all. The Red Sox, I think we're anticipating this. This is why they moved Mookie Betts. They're trying to get their payroll back under control. And they still have some really good pieces. I mean, Xander Bogarts is still a really good player. J.D. Martinez is still a really good player. Uh, Andrew Benintendi is still a really good player. Alex Verdugo, I think, is going to be a really good player. That was a good piece they got back in that deal for Mookie Betts. But uh, overall, their pitching's not there. I, I just don't think that the Red Sox anticipated they were going to be big-time uh, contenders in, in just a monster of an AL East. I mean, the Rays are really good. Obviously, we know the Yankees are, are really special this year. Um, and the Orioles have kind of surprised people. Nobody yeah. anticipated that that was the case, obviously, this year with Baltimore. But uh, not totally surprised by that, uh, and I'm not shocked at all that the Giants are off to a tough start. Um, new era, no more Bruce Bochy. Um, Gabe Kapler's there now. They have, you know, some interesting pieces at the trade deadline, and I think that's probably going to be about it for them this year. You know, see who they move here in the next week or two or in the next couple of weeks and see what kind of pieces they can get back. Now, I think they're well on their way to rebuilding the, the, the organization. I think they have. Um, some good pieces. Remember, Buster Posey opted out before the season began, too. That's the franchise, essentially. So um, I'm not surprised that they are where they are. Uh, it's going to take them a couple of years, but I think they've got a pretty good and talented front office. And so I think they will be back here in the coming years. It's just not going to be this year. Lynn, I think this is the first day. I may have this not quite right. This is the first day this month that everybody in baseball is playing. Teams aren't missing games because of COVID. How do you feel like the league has handled themselves through this first several weeks of the year? I've been proud of the league and how they've handled this. Um, it would have been very easy to let the court of public opinion shut down this season early on. But baseball made a commitment to finding a way to play. And they've been flexible and they've changed protocols. They've gotten stricter with a lot of the protocols to make sure that this can work. And I think it's working. I think when guys are adhering to the protocols, for the most part, this has been working. We've had the inc incidents with the Marlins and the Cardinals, clearly. Um, the Reds look like they averted disaster with their case over the weekend. That's a, that's a very good sign. 
I think we're all going to have to be flexible and open-minded and learn as we go. But the one thing we can't be open-minded about is that we have to be committed to getting this season in. And, um, you know, as long as we feel like we can do that in a, in a responsible way and mitigate any kind of outbreaks that are going to happen, everybody knew there were going to be some positive tests. I mean, I don't think anybody thought that you were going to go through a season and not have some positive tests. That was going to be something that if we're going to do this, we're going to have to accept that to a degree. But you want to try to mitigate it and keep it as safe as possible at the same time. I think we've learned from the Marlins situation. I think there's things that they learned from the Cardinals situation. There's going to be probably some more positive tests before the season's all said and done. But I think the commitment to keep moving forward has been the thing that's kept baseball going. And I think they've learned from each of these situations. And each time it's happened, the result has been safer protocols on the back end. Well, the Cardinals are back up and going. They're going to play a ton of baseball. I mean, that's good. they're going to really test their depth, I think, over the coming months. But they're back up. They've had, I think, today's their third doubleheader since coming back. Your your franchise has, knock on wood, kind of been immune to a lot of this, haven't they? Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that up, Greg. Um, it's, it's, it's gone Announcer really well jinx. so far. <laughs> yeah, no, it's gone really well so far. And, and our guys are committed to it. We've always had a great clubhouse culture, and I do think that that matters in these types of situations because when you respect your teammates and when you respect the guys in your clubhouse, you're going to do better for yourself and for them. And, and I think you realize that, that everybody's got to be in this together, and I think that we have that kind of a culture with our team. doesn't mean that it's perfect. doesn't mean something can't happen at some point. Nobody's immune to this thing. Um, but I, I do think that uh, we've, we've had a lot of success early on, and a lot of it has to do with these guys being on the same page and knowing that they're accountable for each other as well as themselves. That doesn't seem to be the case in Cleveland. With Clevenger and Plesak, they both went out on their own in Chicago. They've been sent home, and, and now it sounds like there's guys on that team that say, if they come back, I'm out. I, it, that seems like that organization's kind of having a little infighting. Well, but I think that's probably what you need to have happen, to be honest with you, is some of the veteran guys saying, look, they're not, they're not coming back. It, it, it has to be a serious thing. People have to take it serious if they want to get the baseball played. And so you have to follow these protocols or you're going to ruin it for everybody else. And I think that's the message those veterans are making. And I think you're going to see you know, more of that probably moving forward if there's any other kinds of situations. But I do think some of these new protocols where guys are they're being held accountable, if they leave the hotel, Everybody's finding out about it. I think that is going to help and continue to help. I think it already has been helping. All right. Uh, twins tonight, what's ahead for the crew? Twins tonight and then the, a series in Pittsburgh and then back home for a long homestand for the Brewers. It's crazy. I mean, this season goes so fast. We were just at the uh, 30% line two days ago. And you know, by this time next week, we'll be at the 50% line uh, to the season pretty much. So, um, it's going fast, but we've played a lot of really close games here recently. And I'll tell you, when you get into those nail-biting games, late-inning situations, uh, it feels really good. It, it feels just like baseball any other time and and uh, really enjoying it. And you're starting to feel a little bit of that sense of urgency as we're getting closer to September with playoff chases starting to heat up and stuff. And that picture is going to clear up a little bit more over the next two weeks. And I think September is going to be a lot of fun, to be honest with you. I'm loving it, enjoying every bit of it. Thank you, Lane. We appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the, the rest of the week. We'll talk next week. All right. Thank you, Greg. Appreciate it. There is Lane Grindle, our Major League Baseball insider, brought to you by Nebraska Realty. The real estate market is strong, and Nebraska Realty is here to help you safely buy and sell homes across the state. Come see why there is no place like Nebraska Realty. 
Welcome back, Sports Island here on the Husker Sports Network. Greg Sharp with you and delighted to be joined by Bill Kovarik, who is the Nebraska Highway Safety Administrator. We're going to talk about highway safety and a new campaign. The Nebraska Highway Safety is ready to launch. Bill, great to have you with us. Um, let, let's start with the, the, the thing that's affected everybody the last five months, and that is, is the coronavirus we probably, I know we have seen a, a decrease of traffic out there. A lot of insurance companies are giving folks refunds back on their policies because there's not as much traffic on the road. Have you? How much traffic decline have you noticed around the state, and has that translated into maybe fewer deaths on Nebraska roads this year? Well, Greg, yes, uh, the traffic is down or has been down. It's starting to pick back up again now uh, to normal levels. But uh, during COVID, the the traffic was down about 40% for several months. But um, traffic fatalities are only slightly below where they were last year. We're at 145 now, and that is still above our 140 five-year average. So we really have not seen a decrease in the fatalities to coincide with that decrease in the traffic uh, because of the, the pandemic. Well, I'm sure in someone in your position, that's probably a little disappointing. Yes, yes. We were definitely hoping to, to see a decrease this year, but um, that's not happened so far. All right, let's talk about a campaign that's starting this weekend. It's Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Tell the folks about this. Well, as we're approaching Labor Day weekend, uh, law enforcement all across the state of Nebraska is participating in the National Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over Enforcement Campaign. So during the holiday weekend uh, and through the holiday weekend, the law enforcement, the police departments, sheriff's departments, and the state patrol will be working to put an end to drunk driving. So in support of the law enforcement's dedication to protect the lives and residents of our our communities, um, you'll see an increased enforcement on the roads with zero tolerance for those who drive impaired. Again, we're visiting with Bill Kavorek from the Nebraska Highway Safety Association. Bill, how many DUI arrests do law enforcement officers usually make each year? Well, right now um, we're seeing about an average of 7,000 arrests per year, and at least 94% of those are convicted for DUI each year in Nebraska. So you really don't want to be part of that number. Mm. The costs are way more than you think besides for, you know, the money out of pocket. Um, and now and for many years to come, there's also family issues, social social issues, job losses, and many more things that DUI will cost. Well, let's talk about people who can maybe avoid injuries. If they are on the road but they're not impaired, uh, probably buckle up, right? I would guess that would be probably a number one. Yeah, Craig, that's definitely it. I mean, all drivers need to make sure they're they're doing the one thing that they should be doing, just driving. And everyone in a moving vehicle needs to wear their seatbelt and make sure the driver is not impaired or distracted. So put the phones down, put the seatbelts on, and drive. That's probably been one of the biggest changes, hasn't it, Bill, in the last 20 years, are our cell phones and people using those while they drive. i, I got to imagine that's been a huge uptick in the last couple of decades. Definitely, yeah. Distracted driving is, is a huge concern, and it may not show up in the statistics all the time, but we definitely know. I mean, we can see it on the roads every day. If you look at cars beside you, you can see people are not only on their phones, but eating and, and doing many other things, putting on makeup and, and other things besides driving. So um, it's definitely a huge uh, issue in driving these days. 
Well, Bill, thank you for joining us again. Drive sober or get pulled over. It's a campaign you're going to be hearing a lot more about in the coming days. Bill, continued success to you. Let's hope we get those deaths down in the back half of this year. Let's hope people start paying more attention when they're out there on those Nebraska roads. All right. Thanks, Greg. 531-500-4686, the number if you want to be a part of the program, either via a phone call or a text as we wind down yet another edition here of Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. NBA playoffs, I just love this fact. I mentioned this yesterday. You can wake up about noon, flip on the TV, and you might even have NHL hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs going on as they're all trying to get in four games each day at the venues, the bubble down in Orlando for the NBA and up in Edmonton and Toronto for the NHL. Ben's Tampa Bay Lightning in the NHL through. In fact, the NHL is quickly wrapping up their first round of the playoffs. They're going to be down to just eight teams left in their bubbles here probably by the weekend. Uh, unless the uh, Canadian or the Capitals or the Flyers make a deep run, or Canadians and Capitals make a deep run, that was one of our buy sell questions. Uh, the NBA, though, just starting to get launched into their first couple of rounds. Big night for the Celtics; they just absolutely demolished the Sixers. What's going? Why the Sixers? Why aren't the Sixers being more competitive in this thing? I know, I know, Simmons is hurt right now, but my goodness. Joel Embiid is awfully quiet right now, isn't he? He's uh, not really yeah. talking a lot of noise or getting in anybody's face with the way they're playing right now. Sheesh. They got blasted. They did, and, and the Celtics are missing Hayward. He's out. I mean, it's like the injuries are part of it, but, man, that was a blowout tonight by Boston. Uh, so they, they're up 2-0 in that series. The big story so far in this week has been the number one seeds getting beat. The Lakers get knocked off last night by Portland. Milwaukee gets beat yesterday by Orlando. I think they both recover, although I'm not sure it's going to be real easy, Ben, for the Lakers. Portland's playing good basketball right now. They are, and they're confident. I mean, you win a game one in a series like that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's a player other than, speaking of buy-sell, maybe Donovan Mitchell that's playing with more swag and confidence right now than Damian Lillard. There was a clip going around about – they're playing some music while the Lakers are bringing the ball up the floor. He's in the corner of the floor dancing. I mean, there's no doubt that that guy right now is just feeling it, and as he should. He is, he is really playing playing well right now. Give me a dark horse in each conference. When we, the other night, we all went on record picking who we thought will make the NBA Finals. Give me your dark horse in both the East and the West. I like Austin's logic with Miami. I mean, they're an interesting team. They, uh, they're young. They're a young team, and um, – you know, I think they they've got some potential to to do some things. Um, I mean, it's hard to say dark horses are, are two seeds because you know they, they've they've played great. Um, my, I mean, maybe the Jazz. I I don't know how I don't know how complete the Jazz are. Um, if I have to go non one one two seeds, I'm saying the Jazz and the Celtics. I mean, the, the way the Celtics are playing right now, Jason Tatum can prove pro- has proven yeah. he can play at a high level in the playoffs. So, um, yeah, give give me those two if I have to pick a an upset special, if you will. I, I like the Celtics in the East, and I, I think I mentioned this last night. I kind of like the Rockets. I think the Rockets could do some damage in this thing. They whipped Oklahoma City last night. I, I don't think they're going to have a problem with the Thunder at all now. It's going to get much tougher for them in the second round. But when you have a guy like Harden who can kind of carry a team on his back and they're so freewheeling that if they don't feel much pressure and nobody's picking them, I think they could be dangerous. Am I off my rocker with the Rockets? No, I don't think so. I think I think that's po- it's definitely possible. I mean, you got somebody that can score like Harden can score. 
um, you know, that's it's always on the table. So yeah, we'll see. The, the the thing with the Rockets though is they haven't done it. They haven't done it yet. You know, they've right. had some good series with the Warriors recently, but they haven't quite gotten over that over that hurdle. And we'll see if they can do it. Uh, I've got the Royals game on over here to my my left, and man. Trevor Bowers is shoving tonight. Any one hitting the Royals right now? He's been unbelievable this year. Unbelievable. He, uh, I mean, he he got the Tigers for back to back starts and lit those guys up. And yeah, he is uh, double digit strikeouts in about every game. And and the thing the thing that's funny about it is he just the guy just continues to run his mouth, you know, on Twitter, and it's just. I can't remember which game. It might have been even the Tigers game that, that I was watching when he was pitching, and uh, it was the Tigers broadcast, and they were talking about that. They were saying, you know, this guy loves to run his mouth, but how can how can you debate it? I mean, how can you get mad at him when he's when he's over here and he's uh, pitching the way that he is? So, yeah, he's having a great season. There's no doubt. Coming up tomorrow night, Teddy Greenstein always stops by on Thursday. We'll hear from him, get his thoughts about this Big Ten announcement that came down the pike today from Kevin Warren. We'll also have another edition of Beyond the Headlines. Famous face-off makes its return tomorrow night. Got bumped from its Wednesday schedule to Thursday with the return of buy-sell. And, Ben, I, I can hardly wait for Tim's flick picks this week. <laughs> I mean, I just I just don't know what to expect. You talk about unpredictability. Man, <laughs> I don't think anybody knows what's coming around that corner. Well, it would be worth tuning in. We'll have that sure. for you tomorrow, tomorrow night. What a great show tonight. Thanks to Ben, to Josh, to Tim uh, for being a part of this one tonight. A lot of great information. We were able to pop out there. Good to hear from Jeremiah Searles and Nick Gates in his Husker huddle. And always a pleasure to have Lane Grindle joining us from the broadcast booth in Milwaukee. All fun stuff here tonight on Sports Nightly.